The Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Hello, and welcome to the Paul Leslie Hour. This is Paul talking to you directly to you. We're going to bring out our special guest, Alan Havy, in just a moment. But first, I want you to remember that the Paul Leslie Hour is made possible by viewers and listeners like you. That's right, you. Just go to thepaulleslie.com, click on support the show. I really appreciate all of you who have contributed. It means a lot to me. And now, let's get into the talk with Alan Havy. Hello, hello. Hello, Paul. Hey, how you doing? Good, how are you? I'm great. Good. I like uh, what, you got CDs behind you? Lots of CDs. This is one of the shelves. And then, Mr. Dillon, over to you, over your left shoulder. That's right. What is that? It's a painting I got in Charleston, and it just says, the times they are changing. Okay. Well, that'll never go out of fashion. That's what I always say. I always say this is a song. It's so genius because a hundred years from now, the lyrics will be just as relevant. Yeah, there's a lot of songs like that that, you know, have that simple wisdom. Mm-hmm. How long does it take you to get that mustache looking the way you want it in the morning? <laughs> Frequently asked question. I would say maybe two or three minutes. On okay, a that's good. Yeah, you don't want to spend more than five minutes on a mustache. Well, we've got to give a man like Alan Havy his due respect in an introduction. He's a very funny stand-up, a great acting talent. The New York Times described him as cocksure, irreverent, and very funny. Many would concur, including me. And then there's his acting. You may remember his unforgettable performances starring as Lou Avery in Mad Men, or others may know him for playing Carl Allard on the, the hit show Billions. He's also made guest appearances on Seinfeld, Curb Your Enthusiasm, Louie, Glow, The Office, Two Broke Girls, among others. Alan Havy also did great work as a talk show host, Night After Night with Alan Havy. This is in addition to his many talk show appearances. He appeared on shows like Late Night with Conan O'Brien, and then there were 10 appearances on Late Night with David Letterman. You've seen him in films like Rounders and The Informant and in the Jerry Seinfeld documentary Comedian. Alan Havy has released a comedy album, Stare Into the Sun, which you can find on iTunes. He performs around the world. If you want to find out more, in addition to this interview, you can go to alanhavy.com. That's Alan with two L's. Mr. Havy, thank you and, so much. And two A's, by That's the way. That's right. Yeah, some people spell it A-L-L-E-N. But thank you. Thank you for the intro. Very informative. I'm wiped out. That's I can't. After listening to my credits, I can no longer go on. I am so fucking tired right now. Well, that, that brings up a good point, I think. With all the things you've done, I mean, having a talk show, being on you know, Rounders and The Informant are two of my favorites, being on Mad Men, which I consider one of the best television shows I've ever seen. Are you surprised at all by all of the things you've had a chance to do in your career? Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, I studied acting at uh, Florida State, got out in 78, went to New York in 79 on with the intent of, uh, you know, trying to make a living as an actor. Hopefully the goal is to get on Broadway. 
And then I got into stand-up, so I've accomplished just about every goal you can in this business except Broadway. But yeah, I'm I'm surprised, delighted. You know, I mean, I've worked hard, but I've also stayed with it. And, and, you know, I've gotten lucky. And of course, it's nice when you read the credits right in a row. It sounds like I'm always busy all the time, but I've had plenty of downtime. But the best thing, of course, is stand-up. I just love being a stand-up. And what is it about that? What why is it stand up that especially thrills you? Well, it's it you're in charge. It's all it's all under your uh power. You can't fire yourself and nobody gives you notes, nobody tells you what to do. And so it's it's very uh I just feel free up there and you know, I know uh I can control it. So it's nice in in show business. There's so many things we can't control. But uh, when you, if you get some stage time, whether it's an open mic or the VFW hall, you get up to do a speech, you're in charge. And I kind of like that. Hmm. I have this same fascination with comedians. And uh, I've heard it said about Frank Sinatra, the singer. People have said he only made it look easy. So with comedy, the great comedians, it looks like it's just a guy talking. But then when you sit there and, and really pay attention, there's a lot that goes into it. Yeah. And with comedians, we can't practice when we're not on stage. Like, you know, Astaire can practice his steps and uh, Sinatra could practice singing or go through vocal exercises. And certainly there's preparation of writing things down and going over it in your head. But you really don't get the training unless you're in front of a live audience. Hmm. That's the key factor. That being said, a lot of comedians don't prepare. And I see the ones that do prepare and take it seriously, just the craft of it what it takes. I see those are the people that kind of move ahead and become better comedians. One of the things that I find so impressive about comedians is somebody who's a singer songwriter, like take Paul Simon every single year. If you went and see him, see, saw him in concert, you would expect to hear hit songs, but a comedian, if you go back and see a comedian, you don't want to hear the same material you all have to constantly be coming up with stuff. Yeah, that's true. And that's another part of it. I mean, I listen, I've known guys who made a living 30 years with the same 45 minutes. They get away with it. They go, they deliver. And there's a lot of a lot of times you see a comedian and you want to hear certain bits you like. But no, you you, you try to keep it fresh and it pays to, to turn over uh, material, which really most comedians have to do on stage they they have to try it out and sneak it in on stage but there's some comedians out there that can just sit and write and come up with great stuff and do it and my hat's off to them sometimes that happens for me most times not of the comedians that are out there today who would you say makes you laugh the most i like sam morrell i like uh adrian la Palucci. there's so many comedians i love uh chappelle i loved his last special I'm a big I'm a big Seinfeld fan. Have been for the last forty years. There's there's a ton of comedians who make me laugh. I just saw some new ones this weekend that I hadn't seen before, and I can't think of their names. I, I saw a comedian Francisco Ramos do a great bit about apples and uh, bananas, and you'd think, oh, well, that sounds boring. It was pretty funny and and very well done. So there's a ton of comedians I enjoy. Who would you say are the comedians that have had the biggest influence on you? Oh, probably Carson. When I, was, I watched The Tonight Show when I was a kid. Jackie Gleason, Bob Hope, uh, the early movies, the road movies and the stuff from the uh, 30s and 40s. His, his comic timing was uh, just perfect. 
and then you know you get into watching uh Ed Sullivan when I was a kid, Alan King, John Biner, all the terrific comedians of the 60s. Uh, even someone like Frank Gorshin, who's not really known for comedy, is more of an impressionist. And Sinatra, too. And uh, certain people I saw, Buddy Rich, just their stage presence and how they deliver. So, I, uh, you know, because I watched The Tonight Show at a young age, probably eight, nine years old on, I was exposed to a lot of you know, great show business and old school show business. So I really, uh, I really kind of soak that in. But uh, I've been influenced by a lot of people, but mostly Carson and Gleason. Through the years, did you ever have moments where you doubted yourself? Yes, all the time, through the months, through the weeks, through a set. You know, of course, yeah, there, at one point I almost uh, quit. When I was young, I was so discouraged, but... I realized I kind of thought I had, what am I going to, you know, when I'm an old dude sitting in a chair, what am I going to look back on? I should have stuck with it. So I, I went back into the clubs. But yeah, you always have doubts. There's always uh, an element of fear. I usually get nervous before I go on. I mean, I'm not panicked. It's not going to work. But certainly you have some confidence by doing it over and over. But uh, oh, yeah, plenty of times, plenty of times that I have uh, major doubts. I always like to give credit where credit is due. And for those who enjoy you, I have to say the interview that you did with Dom Herrera was really, it was just fantastic. There was such a, well, thank you. It was a great patter, you know? Well, Dom and I have known each other since 1981, you know, and we've always gotten along and riff off each other. And, uh, that's another great thing about this business. You get to hang out with a lot of comedians and, you know, fun people. And sometimes you only meet him once on the road or something like that. But it's uh, that's a beautiful thing. But, yeah, Dom and I, I had Dom. I had a radio show for a while in the in 99, 2000. I had Dom, Dom on. And I said, anything you want me to bring up? He said no. So we started talking. And, and he was funny for a solid hour. You know, he just has that. He has funny bones. But, yeah, that was a fun interview. What do you think the biggest difference is between those who make it in the entertainment business and those who don't make it? Well, I, you know, it's, it, you have to define make it, you know, I mean, uh, people that stick with it and keep making it fresh, they'll make a living at it. To me, making it was like when I moved in, when I got to community college and started doing theater, I felt I'd made it. I was already in the world. And so everything after that's been kind of gravy. I really, uh, to me, success is making a living at it, making enough money to survive and enjoy your life and do what you love to do. So that, to me, is for anyone, any business you're in is the ultimate success. But I would say just sticking with it, perseverance, talent, you get some luck and, uh, you know, you're going to be fine. But I know a lot of people from Florida State who are making a living in theater, television, the business side of this, and uh, they just stayed with it, you know. And yeah, you get lucky and you can, you know, you're going to be discouraged, but you're always going to be discouraged no matter how successful. Quincy Jones is discouraged. Jay-Z gets discouraged. You know, the top acts in the world, Brad Pitt might have not, you know, selected a script that went on to be a hit. You know, you, you don't know. But I think it's uh, it's mostly your attitude and your work ethic. I think I've seen the series Mad Men from beginning to end probably three, maybe four times. As a compliment to your acting, I always felt like you were the combination of every person that I either was a coworker or a boss <laughs> who I couldn't stand. Yeah. 
<laughs> I believed you were that guy, Lou Avery. You know? Yeah, well, uh, when I read uh, the signs when I first auditioned for it, my wife said, well, this is, you know, you, you can do this. And I, and I, uh, the character is a composite of my father and his friends back in 1970 when it should have taken place. And so I kind of, you know, adapted their mannerisms and, and the way they would deliver lines. It wasn't really that difficult to do. The, the writing was so good. The direction is clear. The other actors are, you know, you're walking into that show with all these actors. They're rock solid. So it was uh, probably... I would say the easiest or the least stressful thing I had. It was stressful, but, you know, I was so excited to be on the show because like you and, and so many people, I was a Mad Men freak. <laughs> I love that show. And the fact that I got it, it was like, and I, I mentioned this to a few of the people on the set, you could have told me at five that I was going to be in the Honeymooners with Jackie Gleason. That's how excited I was, you know. Wow. But you had to tamp that down. Thank God I had a job to do. And boy, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, but people did hate that character. <laughs> My wife always had a visceral reaction when you would come on the screen. She would even say to me sometimes, I hate that guy. Good. <laughs> any any passionate response you can get from an audience is good. You know, and I wasn't looking for it. I was just playing the part as written. And they don't change a word. And they don't let you as an actor change a word. they specific about that. And I kind of like that. So everything just kind of gelled together all the work i'd done at tallahassee all the acting stuff i had read about my my life you know just uh things i remembered about that era in my life which i was what uh in 70 i turned 16 you know in 1970 so i was kind of aware of what was going around me and so i grabbed my dad and the men from visitation parish and you know just took off with that was there anybody from your life that maybe was like a boss or just somebody that you kind of it, it kind of helped you in playing this character, Lou Avery? No, it was it was my dad and some of his friends that I heard, you know, from the parish. That's it. You know, there wasn't one. Spe you know, I didn't do an impersonation. I didn't. But uh, certainly with a lot of stuff, my I do my father's, you know, in me because I'm his son. But mm. no, it was it was uh, specifically my dad and a couple of his buddies. I, it would not a boss for my life. I didn't work in the corporate world, although I've had some bosses that are assholes. <laughs> I, I never uh, worked in the corporate world. I'm, ha I'm happy to say. Well, this is a question from my wife. She wanted to know what is the hardest thing about being an actor these days? Well, these days, of course, the last year was tough because it was really no work. At my age out here, there I've entered into a demographic. So I only started doing a lot of acting in the last 10 years. Uh, I mean, I've done it all through my you know, career in New York, you know, get a commercial here, a part there. The hardest thing is the competition, is the, are the numbers. I've entered into a, I'm in a demographic. There were tons of character actors out here, and they're talented as hell. So hopefully you fit the part a little bit better or what they have in mind, or you bring something to the part they didn't think about, and they say, let's choose this guy. But it's basically the hardest thing is the competition. You know, mm. there's just a lot of guys out there. You're not, you know, you just knuckle down the, the best audition you can and uh, move on and, and hope they call you back. For anybody who's out there, if they want to go on YouTube, they can watch some of the episodes of this talk show that you hosted night after night and really, really excellent. And it was incredible how many 
you got to talk to so many very iconic people. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience of having a late night talk show? Yeah, it's something I, I didn't want. Uh, the Comedy Channel came along, the audition comedians to do talk shows. And I went into the audition. I didn't give a crap. And I was smoking and I was just pulling some stuff off. And, and the head of HBO, Michael Fuchs, oh, th there's your late night guy right there. So, you know, by not really kind of just did the opposite thing, just doing what I wanted to do and not giving a crap. That's how I got that part. It And uh, at first we were introducing uh, videos, comedy videos, comedians and stuff like that. But then when it became a full-fledged talk show, it was a lot of fun to meet like Nipsey Russell and Alan King. I interviewed Carl. George Carlin, Jerry Seinfeld, uh, Phyllis Diller. I had, a, you know, it was great to uh, interview one of my heroes, the author Gay Talese. I'm a big fan of. He was on the show. Uh, we had the Chieftains on. I had Tupac on early. Still can't find that tape, but that's out there floating around. I had Tupac Shakur on before he broke. So it was fun because it was like a talk show. Other uh, celebrities that they couldn't get on the big talk shows, they'd go on that one for practice. You know. <laughs> So it was like a triple A talk show we had. And I, you know, I had met Nick Bakai, who was my sidekick, one of the writers and did so many characters who's gone on to great success in uh, television. And Scott Carter, who went on to uh, Real Time with Bill Maher, started Politically Incorrect. Sue Fellows has gone on to produce. Uh, on Most of the writers uh, have gone on to other jobs and great success. So it was a great launching pad for uh, a lot of people. And for me, it was just... It was a lot of fun. It was down on 23rd Street. I was around the Higgins boys and Grover. You know, Steve Higgins now is with uh, Jimmy Fallon on The Tonight Show. And, of course, you had John Stewart, who was in my contract. They said, if you're sick or you can't do a show, we're going to put John Stewart in. So that was the healthiest year of my life because uh, I wasn't going to let Stewart come in because <laughs> I knew how talented he was. And he had such great appeal. So his success has been wonderful hasn't surprised me it was just a really great time not only doing my show but the uh, people around me who were doing other shows it's very creative and it's many people look back on it we told them then this is the best job you're going to have in show business so it was a lot of fun you mentioned a few names there but was there anybody that you were just kind of in awe of the fact that you got to meet them oh yeah well alan king carlin like I mentioned, Gay Talese, quite a few people, you know. But then, you know, you, you can't sit there and gush. You got to do an interview. <laughs> so, you know, I try to tamp down my fanboy side. But that's hard because I, I really, my favorite part of show business still is being an audience member. I love to go see shows. I love to see live music. I love, I'm a big movie freak, you know, watching a lot of great television that all of us are exposed to now. It's a great time to be an audience member, to uh, sit back and absorb so much great entertainment out there. You mentioned music there. So tell us about some of the musical artists that you enjoy. Well, I'm a, you know, looking at that painting behind you, big Bob Dylan fan, Springsteen, Janis Joplin, I love the Stones. Of course, when I was a kid, you know, when the Beatles came over to America, I just got caught up. I'm still a Beatles fan. I listen to Breakfast with the Beatles every Sunday out here on KLOS. And I, you know, I saw some, I got to see Sinatra at Carnegie Hall when I was a young man, first in New York, Benny Goodman, Tracy Chapman. In New York on any given night, you gotta make hard choices to if there's anyone because several people are are in town, you know. I got to go to the Bob Dylan uh Unplugged 
show, which was nice. I was about, you know, 20 feet away from him, just sitting right in the middle of the audience. That was a thrill. And I, I run into him a few times on the street, haven't said anything. That's another fun thing about New York. I almost poked out Gene Hackman's eye with my umbrella uh, <laughs> when I first moved to New York. So I saw Norman Mailer one time walking down the street looking angry with a big envelope with the manuscript in it. And I said, well, that has to be his new book. I go, what if I went over there and just stole it from him, just grabbed him out of, out of his hands, you know? So goofy things like that. But, oh, yeah, I've seen some great acts, some great jazz acts I opened for at the bottom line. Like I opened for Buddy Rich, Maynard Ferguson, Tower of Power, Aztec Camera. I opened up for Whitney Houston. I saw her right before her album came out at the bottom line, and she was unbelievable. So I saw her at, at her peak, I, I feel. So it's it, the great thing about living in New York or L.A. is you got to get out of the house, go see some acts like, you know, you're near Atlanta. So just about everybody comes to Atlanta. And now you got a lot of filming down there. So Atlanta is a lot more showbiz than it was back in 1979, you know, when I left Tallahassee. Oh, yeah. So it, it, it's great that there's so many good music acts and now they're, you know, they're coming out again after COVID. So that's nice. Yeah, I've met a lot of actors who have actually moved from Los Angeles to Atlanta. Who would have dreamt, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, the thing about L.A. is it's really, I mean, with the money, you can buy a, you know, a house outside Atlanta relatively uh, inexpensively compared to uh, L.A. L.A. has been tough. A lot of people going to Austin. I know some comedians that are going to uh, Vegas, you know, but I have family in Atlanta, so, you know. So I like going down there, but I'm I'm lucky. I'm in L.A. I'm out in Santa Monica. I'm near the beach. I got a rent-controlled apartment. My wife and I, and we've hung on to it. And it's, you know, good for us right now. And especially with the, the weather, the crazy weather that's happening up in the north uh, west up there in Portland and Oregon, 100-degree weather and stuff. Uh, I feel I'm going to stay right here in Santa Monica. Even if I don't work that much, the weather's nice, you know. Oh, yeah. It's beautiful. No doubt. You know, it's funny we've mentioned, and of course, this painting here, it helps, I guess, but your character, Lou Avery, I remember he he compared himself kind of to Bob Dylan. And then in one of the uh, podcasts, I listened to pretty much every every interview that I could find of you to prepare for this. And you mentioned that you had read Chronicles, the Bob Dylan autobiography. Right, right. There's a, a great reference you made there. You said that in the book it said, if I remember, the, it's, he said something about someone had told him th about the road. Yeah, his grandmother. What was the it, quote it, again? Do you remember? Yeah, it, there, is no, there is no road to success. Success is the road. I love that. Yeah, and it's very simple. But, you know, you, going back to your thing, like how can people make it? I think people were always looking ahead, like two, two rungs on the ladder ahead or however you want to define success or the climb the ladder to success. You know, one comedian told me, he goes, yeah, I'm waiting in line like everybody else. I go, fuck that. Get out of line. You know, you're not in <laughs> line. You just we're, we're all trying to do something out for ourselves in it together. But, yeah, that that quote from Dylan's grandmother really hit home, you know, because I've really, you know, the more I enjoy what I'm doing and just the process, whether I'm packing to go on the road or actually doing a show or, you know, just going out to buy myself breakfast or, you know, if I have an audition in that part of town, I'll look for a good restaurant to go to, grab a sandwich or something that's popular. You make all of it fun, not just the, oh, if I, you can't, if I get on TV, then that's it. It's, it's everything leading up to that 
And once you get on TV, and then you're off again. You know, you do you go and you do a guest spot, and then you keep going. So you can't live and die on every audition or every performance. There's a great quote, and I forget the the author's name. It's a Japanese poet, and the quote is, "I am an artist at living, and my work of art is my life." And that really hit home with me. And of course, Chekhov, who uh, is a famous quote from him, "If you want to work on your art, work on your life." Hmm. So living a full life and not just observing or not just coveting or not just, you know, oh, if I can get that, just, you know, explore things in your world wherever you are and and lead a good life. That's going to fulfill you. It's going to make you a better person, a better musician, better, you know, electrician, whatever you uh, choose as your endeavor or, you know, to get through life. And I think that a quote from Dylan's grandma is very important. And it's funny. I mean, she, you know, she lived in Hibbing, Minnesota. He heard it when he was a kid or or whenever. And now it's there for the world to read or not read. That wisdom, you know, like the times they are changing, it just keeps keeps playing on. Well, well put. You have had the chance to work with just incredible people. Is there someone from an acting standpoint that really, really impressed you? Oh, yeah. A lot of people. I've Well, you can take the whole cast of Mad Men right there. The Office. I've worked on Two Broke Girls, a great group to work with. Really hardworking. Seinfeld. Geez, you can just go down my list. I, I don't think I've worked with anyone. Jeff Daniels early in my career, I got to work with him, and he was really great to me and inclusive. And I'm working now with uh, Paul Giamatti, uh, mostly on... Uh, Billions and Condola Rashad, who is an actor I saw on Broadway. And, I, you know, I'm watching the show. She, I would love to work with her. And then like a year later, I was. So that's cool. But Giamatti has been great, you know, and, and a good crew, too. You know, I've, I've worked with really good directors over the years. Uh, I got to work with the Coen brothers, which was a real kick for me, watching them work and working with the actors that I was involved with on that show. So there's not one specific actor. But all these people I've mentioned, it's just great to be around them and absorb and, and play with them, you know. I was listening last night, or watching, I should say, the documentary Sons of Sam, and I thought, gosh, this voice sounds very familiar. And then it was Paul <laughs> Giamatti. Yeah. And he's someone who, I know there's lots and lots of people who have respect for him, but I think he's one of the best actors, period. Yeah. I mean, you look at his work in John Adams which I enjoyed and a lot of, a lot of stuff. So to work with them is a real thrill. And yeah, I, I watched sons of Sam too. And I go, boy, that, that does sound like Paul. <laughs> and he also did a Burger King uh, chicken sandwich commercial that's out now. So the last time I saw him, he asked me how it was going I go, oh man, I just missed out on getting a, a voiceover on a Burger King commercial. And he, he goes, and he looked at me, he goes, you're kidding, right? You're kidding. I go, yes, I'm kidding. You know, but uh, yeah, the sons of Sam's, that was an interesting documentary. You know, that was uh, I was in Tallahassee when Ted Bundy murdered those girls. They were like a couple doors down from me where I live. So I was questioned three times during that. Really? Uh, yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Giamatti. Well, Ken Burns uses them, too. He uses them in uh, the historical things. He's played Teddy Roosevelt and he's done a bun bunch of voiceovers. He's got a really good, easy voice hmm. like that. But, you know, so do I. So if you're casting out there, BMW, major car commercial. John Hamm from uh, Mad Men. He does all the Mercedes-Benz commercials now. Oh. Yeah, that's his voice you hear. 
Don Draper. I did an interview with Joel Murray, who was also on Mad Men, as you know. Yeah. And, and he said that John Hamm was one of the most impressive actors that he worked with. Uh, yeah, I, I would concur. And Joel got to work with him more. But, yeah, he was impressive. And I'll tell you what, uh, Wiz, Elizabeth Olsen? Uh, who am I thinking of? She uh, played Peggy. Yeah, Elizabeth. Moss, sorry. Moss, Elizabeth yes. Austin. I can't even think. Sorry, Miss Moss. Boy, she is really impressive because I'd be with her off camera and she's sitting around with the cast, you know, kidding around, joking, blah, blah, blah. And then I'd see her like go in, boom, and nail an emotional scene. So, yeah, like I said earlier, all the actors on uh, uh, Mad Men, that goes for Christina Hendricks, John Slattery, John Hamm, uh, Joel Murray. I worked with him. And, you know, it's funny, after Mad Men, Joel and I, it seemed like just about every audition I went to, Joel Murray was there. (laughs) So, like I said earlier, your wife's question, the competition is tough. Mm. Well, this is kind of a, maybe it's kind of a, a, a long shot here. But um, you were on the new show. Oh, wow. Yeah. And there was a guest that we had. He strikes me as one of the nicest people and very, very funny. Joel, uh, Joel Murray's brother, John Murray. Do you oh, know yeah, him? Jo- yeah. Well, I remember him from the new show. Yo, John is a great guy. Very funny. Easygoing. And uh, for we only worked on it 12 weeks, but we had a nice rapport on the show. Yeah, that was fun because Lorne Michaels cast me. That was 84, me and a, a couple other uh, young uh, people. And that was a huge uh, boost of confidence. And that was so fun to work on. You know, I got to work uh, with John Candy and Gilda Radner. And I, 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 I was able to meet Randy Newman. You know, briefly, Paul Simon worked on the uh, – he and Lorne Michaels are very close friends. So he was around a lot. That was a great, great learning ground. For me, and Alan's White Bell, the great comedy writer, worked on that show. Super nice, but yeah, John Murray, good guy. <laughs> so, not a long shot at all. Well, on that note, has there been somebody either in comedy or in acting or in broadcasting? Has there been someone that struck you as one of the nicest people? Ben Scully. Ben Scully. He's the uh, voice, or was the voice of the Dodgers for many, many years out here. Uh, Ran into him. I was going to the dentist's office. And this is the crazy thing about being in L.A. Sometimes you'll run into a celebrity. And he was getting on the elevator. And I, I usually don't say anything. I like, I got to I got to say something. It's been Scully. So I said, uh, excuse me, Mr. Scully. I just want to thank you for everything you've done for baseball. And he looked at me and he goes, well, aren't you nice? <laughs> and then I said, I'm a Cardinal fan. And the doors are closed. And he goes, that's OK. Boom. <laughs> they, they close. So that was just a wonderful encounter that that tickled me. Uh, you know, just about everyone who would uh, you or your audience would define as celebrity or famous were nice. You know, Jerry, Larry David, John Hamm. I mean, you know, Elizabeth Moss. Now that I remembered her name, I hope she's not listening. She'll kill me. Everybody was and like uh, super nice, uh, including Mr. Giamatti. Jeff Daniels was great. We shared a moment, Jeff Daniels and I, on the, the set of Checking Out, a movie that no one really saw. But George Harrison was one of the producers, Handmade Films, and he came on and hung out and signed Jeff's guitar because Jeff is a very accomplished musician. Even this is back in 89. He was terrific back then. And then George started singing some songs, so we kind of played along with my did percussion and and Jeff sang, and or we just kind of we were in his presence with George Harrison. So wow. that was a 
great moment. In fact, I heard from Jeff, you know, not too long ago, and he just sent me, he goes, you and I, you, you were part of one of the best days of my life, you know, which we both looked at back on that family. But I've only met a couple dicks who are celebrities, and I won't mention their names. So hopefully, maybe they've gotten better, or maybe I just had bad luck. But yeah, people, yeah, there are a few people out there can be real assholes, but usually it's fear, you know? They're afraid they don't belong there, they're not counted. I don't know where it comes from, but they're, it's, uh, there's no need to be, you know, short with people or mean for people or people that are only nice to who they feel the right people are, mm. you know, like to an assistant or a crewman, it, you know, to those people, you know, it, these are people that don't matter. So I was raised differently. Thank God. Man, you have some great stories. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, yeah, Paul, I'm 66 years old. I'm still kicking. Yeah. You know. I just oh, yeah. had, you know, it, it's, it's like I didn't go out and seek, to, oh, I got to work with George Harrison. Or I got to work with Jeff Daniels. It's just I auditioned for projects. I got on the projects and I met, uh, you know, Giancarlo Esposito, who was the badass on uh, Breaking Bad and now on Better Call Saul. He was a waiter when I was a bartender in New York. We worked at the same restaurant, you know, so I've always had that connection. And I saw him in his first play off Broadway, zoom in on the sign. And I'm watching this guy going, holy fuck, he's great. And and then he eventually made it, you know, but it took a long time. But he was always acting. Nathan Lane, another guy I met early in my career. Nice guy, funny, brilliantly talented. And I said to myself, this guy doesn't make it. This business is wrong. He made it. You know, so I've seen very talented people early in their career. And it does not surprise me when they, quote, unquote, make it or, you know, however you want to say it. Mm. So, uh it's it's a fun uh, it's been a fun business to be in. But you got to here's the thing. My, a friend of mine says show business you got to give it thirty years, and if that doesn't work, five more. <laughs> you got to commit yourself. Is there anything given all that you've done, being a talk show host, continuing on as a stand up comedian and as an actor, is there anything that you haven't done yet that you would like to do? Yeah, I'm trying to write something. I wrote a screenplay a few years back, working on a couple of screenplays, working on some projects now, and be able to write something and get a, either a TV show or a movie uh, or a comic book, whatever it is. I'd like to write something that gets produced, hmm. a one-act play. So that's kind of – it's always been kind of brewing in the back burner of my mind. And if stand-up hadn't worked out for me, I would have probably tried to get on a writing staff. But, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, stand-up has worked out for me. So I haven't uh, I haven't worked on a show. But because I like being a stand-up, I like write my own stuff. I don't want someone telling me, well, that's not funny or we can't use that joke or, you know, the politics of a writing room is very tough. But uh, that's one thing I haven't done I'd like to do. And plus, I'd like to get on Broadway, you know. Very interesting. You mentioned mentioning comic book there. Yeah, it just I'm just throwing it out there. Hmm. Do you write every day? No. About three or four times a week. Sometimes I won't write. Sometimes I'll write on airplanes or trains when I was in Edinburgh. But no, I'm not a daily discipline writer. Hmm. But when things come to me, I'll write them down. And that's what I like about acting. You don't, you know, someone else writes the stuff, they dress you, they pick you up, they tell you where to stand. 
they give you a little room, they give you a little candy, you know, <laughs> you, you want a soda, here's a soda, whatever you want, water, Diet Coke, whatever you want. That's what I like about acting. They kind of take care of all, everything. Writing is hard. Yeah. Well, listen, writing is hard. Everything's hard. Yeah. You know, but yeah, writing is hard because we all, we all can write. We have the ability to write, but a great book out is called The War of Art by Stephen, The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. It is, it'll tell you exactly the reason why you're not writing. If you want to write or why you're not opening your business, if you want to open a business or why you are stuck creatively or in your life. It's in that book. It's a slim book. It's all in there. After that, after you read the book, you realize why you're not doing what you want to be doing. If you want to write, then you should write. Interesting. Yeah. So that's a book I highly recommend. As I was mentioning at the introduction, you were on Late Night with David Letterman 10 times. Right. Five on NBC, five on CBS. So that was fun. Did you ever manage to... I don't know what the right word is. He's such a a secretive, and at least I, I perceive him that way. Did you ever manage to, to crack that nut that is David Letterman? Did you get well, to know him? No, didn't get to know him, didn't try to get to know him. I did Paul Harvey, the old radio announcer, who I'm a big fan of. Remember him? Oh, you know, look- today, Angel. Yeah, that guy. I did that on panel on the NBC show, and he cracked up. During the whole thing, because he had, I guess, heard him, you know, when he was a young man in Indiana. But uh, no, he was nice. You know, he was friendly. He set you up well, but he's not a guy. Hey, you want to hang out after the show? You know, so uh, no, I didn't get to know David Letterman. Well, back in those days before we had podcasts, what was it like? What kind of a, a, a boom was it to be on Letterman? Oh, it was huge. It was everything. It was what I was working for. I got on in November of 86. It was a it was a major goal I had worked at and I was really happy and took my work seriously and and I you know I was usually effective my last set was my best one. A couple times uh, the sets were a little off or weak but still effective but uh I always took those uh there was a moment of pride when you would get on the Letterman show because I I loved the show. And it was great working both at NBC at 30 Rock, where I'd worked also on the new show, and then to be able to stand in the Ed Sullivan Theater, where so many great acts over the years have been, it was it was a thrill to be in that historic building. And that band, Paul Schaefer, that band, you stand behind that band before you go on, they kick ass. When you hear that band live, it's it's fantastic. I mean, the, the, that is a tight, great band. Wow. <laughs> what would you say when you think back on your career? What would you say the the biggest blessing has been? Uh, moving to New York. Just I, I, you know, I burned my ships at sea as they, on the shore, as they say. I just moved to New York and I was committed. I gave myself five years. I said, no, if I don't do acting, then I'll find something that I can do, whether it's uh, writing or directing or maybe working on the crew. I really didn't care. I just wanted to be in show business. Of course, I wanted to be on stage or in front of the camera, and I've been able to do that. But the best move I ever made in my life is getting my ass out of Miami, away from everything familiar to me, and moving to New York. What's your most vivid memory from your appearance on Seinfeld? 
um, Michael Richards uh, during rehearsal after we rehearsed the scene, he said, "You know, you're supposed to hold for the laughs." There weren't any laughs. It wasn't a crowd there. He goes, "You know to hold for the laughs, right?" I said, "Yeah." He said, "Do you know anything about comic timing?" And this is after I'd been a, a comedian for you know, fifteen years, and I said, "Yes," uh, you know. And he said, "Okay," because you got to hold for the laughs. I go, "I'm aware of that. Thank you." I, I didn't argue with him. I thought that was kind of funny. Like after we rehearsed, he goes, "Do you know anything about comic timing?" You know, and I felt like saying, "What the fuck? Yeah, I've been doing this a while. I'm not some rookie off the street, but I didn't." You know, so it was interesting how he kind of. He wanted to make sure I held for laughs because I knew he was going to get, and I did. If you see, the only time I was on Seinfeld at that piece when I'm a detective, and he, I tell him to sit down, and he can't. You know, I just waited for him to do his shtick. So, but and it just again, I loved, I loved Seinfeld. I loved not only the, the the person, but the comedian and the show. And I was a big Larry David fan when I was young. He he and Jerry were my two favorites when I was a young comic before they got on the show. So when that show happened and they brought their talents to that and that show became what it it is and was, it, it made me, you know, this business works. You know, same thing with Nathan Lane, this, this business work or John Stewart or hell, Bill Maher. Bill Maher did like 15 pilots that didn't get on the air. 15 pilots. You talk about discouragement. Mm. You know, most people would give up after five or 10 or 50. He just kept going and he held on and had his voice and he's become a huge success. So, uh, but uh, yeah, Seinfeld was, uh, was Michael Richards schooling me on comedic timing. <laughs> what is the best thing about being Alan Havey? Um, geez, I got a good wife. I have some good friends. My family's healthy. Knock on wood. Even though we lost our parents early in their 60s, but I got, you know, I, I'm able still to do stand up and, and, and act. So I, I, you know, that's good. But I also, I like where I live. I like what I do. I love my wife, you know, and I'm healthy. That's, it's, I'm pretty grateful for all that. But that's a lot of people out there, I hope, you know. Yeah. Well, I really want to see after having seen, a lot of clips of your comedy. I really hope you make it out here to Atlanta soon because I would love to see your performance. Well, I used to work in the punchline back in the eighties all the time. I just, the thing is when I got out to LA, I stayed off the road a little bit, but you know what? Call the punchline, tell them to get my ass out there. I will do it. Okay. <laughs> well, Mr. Havey, thank you very much for making the time to talk to me. And it's been a great pleasure to interview you. Yeah, this has been a lot of fun, Paul. I, uh, thanks for the postcard. I rarely get postcards anymore, but don't give out my address. And uh, No, no. It, unless it gets you in trouble, give my best to your wife. Oh, I will. Tell that her Lou Avery lives. What's that? Tell her Lou Avery lives. Lou Avery lives. I'll tell yeah. her. All right, buddy. Well, thank no, you very much. My Good pleasure. If I can ever be of service, just let me know. Well, just get the word out there. You know, get, get me booked in a punchline. And you'll be on a good list. I will strive to be on the good list. All right, brother. See ya. Peace.
Goodbye.